What's going on, everybody? This is Ryan Henry, and welcome to 180, where we get to share amazing stories of Christian transformation from around the world. These stories will literally blow your mind. Follow us on your favorite podcast player, or you can visit us at 180podcast.com. That's O-N-E-80podcast.com. And uh, that was my lowest moment when I didn't know where my child was. I didn't know if I ever see him again. Sitting hopeless in her car, a desperate moment called for a desperate plea. In total frustration, Valeria cracked the dashboard with her fist. She needed her son to be rescued, but little did she know, God heard Valeria's cry and told her she wasn't alone. He would take the wheel from here, and her son wouldn't be the only one rescued. Welcome to Valeria's 180. Friends, this is Margaret Araneta. I'm here with Valeria Soretto. It's a privilege to hear from you today, Valeria. Thanks so much for joining us to share your awesome 180. Thank you so much for having me. Before we get started, we have a random question for you. What is the most thrilling thing you have ever done? Hmm, probably rode King to Ka roller coaster at Six Flags in New Jersey. I've never heard of that one, but it sounds scary. It was very scary. Are you a thrill seeker? A little bit, maybe a little bit sometimes, but now that I have kids, not as much as I used to be. Yeah, it does take away some of the thrill seeking, right? Being a mom. <laughs> yes, I'm afraid to look out of tall buildings window when I grew up on the 10th floor of apartment building. Yeah. Well, thank you. Let's get into your story You like to say you are a true Samaritan. So can you tell us where you're from and what that actually means? I am from Ukraine, and my father is Jewish, and my mother is Assyrian. And in the Bible time, children of Assyrians and Jewish people were called Samaritans. So that's why I like calling myself Samaritan. I've never met one, so... I think I'd like to meet one, and I think other people like to meet one, so I make sure to share this with people that I'm a Samaritan. That's very interesting. And you said, like, the woman at the well. I've heard you say that. The woman at the well, yeah. That's great. Can you tell us what it was like growing up in the Ukraine for us who wouldn't understand? Yes, yeah, so I grew up on the 10th floor of an apartment building in the city called Dnipro, the third largest city in Ukraine. I grew up with... A lot of kids in that same building, had, there was a lot of apartments there. And all those kids, we just grew up together, just like sisters and brothers growing up together. Somebody would go out, just yell your name. You would like look a different kind of, cut the window and then just come out. And so I loved my childhood. I just loved it. And I wish I could give the same thing to my kids. There's nothing like that here. So we would all just go outside And we would just play in front of our building. We had like playground and like we would burn fires and cook potatoes in the fire. People we would come out with random potatoes and just cook it in the fire and then eat it without salt or anything. It was lots of fun. And we would rescue stray cats and it was so peaceful. I grew up 
speaking Russian. I grew up in a Russian-speaking city. I spoke both languages because my grandma, she spoke Ukrainian, but everybody else in my family spoke Russian. And my grandma lived in the country, so I would go to my grandma's country, and she had a fruit garden with all kinds of trees, like apples and cherries, sweet cherries, tart cherries, strawberries, like all kinds of stuff grew there. So I would just come out and I would just have a snack there or whatever. It was so peaceful. It was so calm. My childhood was amazing there. And my heart is aching for the kids who are not going to have that there now. Their childhood is ruined. A lot of kids died now. And it's just so painful to listen to this, to watch this happen to my birth country, my home country. The things that are happening there now is just, it's horrible. And I don't know, those kids, they're not ever going to have anything like that. They're not even going to have any kind of childhood. If they even survive, you know, the kids die there every day. It's awful. It's really just so terrible to watch. Even when you don't have personal ties, I can't imagine how hard it is for you and other Ukrainian people to watch this unfolding. Were you a Jewish home? Were you a Christian home? What was that like? So at home, it was kind of neither one of those things. So my mom is a Christian, but my dad, you know, neither one of them really following any kind of religion, just in the words, kind of Jewish by blood. My dad is Jewish by blood. My mom is Christian because Assyrians are Christians. And so it wasn't really any kind of religion going on at the home. But I did go to Jewish school and Jewish camp for youth and kids. And so mostly Jewish. I grew up mostly Jewish in environment because I went to Jewish youth club and Jewish school and all those things that I was doing. So you would identify with being Jewish? Yes, Jewish it would be. So did you fully embrace Judaism when you were doing these camps and these clubs? Yes, pretty much I did. What did you believe about the God of the universe when you were young? So I believe that he was strict and we had to follow all the rules to a T and that basically there's one God and we just had a lot of rules to follow. That was pretty much the main thing of me growing up because there was a lot of rules. There were a lot of rules to follow in your home or in your religion? In the religion mainly, like the specific way to wash hands, just the not even be able to press a button on the elevator on the Sabbath or certain specific details of everyday life that you just do normally, but then you had to do it with different kind of rules. Not necessarily at home, but in spent a lot of time at school and they would take us to synagogues and other events and all kinds of stuff like that. So had to follow different kind of rules. And how did you feel about those rules? Well, it's kind of overwhelming and it made me feel nervous all the time that I'm not good enough, that I'm going to do something that wasn't good enough, do something wrong and things like that. What were some other rules that you said there was the rules on handwashing? What were some other rules that seemed to have weighted you down? Well, probably the eating situation at school. It was all kosher and it was all strict. You can't bring anything in. You can't bring anything out. 
and it was mainly just fish pretty much all the time. And till this day, I can't really eat fish that much because I ate so much fish in my Jewish school. Now, at home, we didn't have any of these rules. At home, it was not like that. So what was home like? No faith at all at home? No, it was kind of like surface faith. It was just believing God is there. We don't need to go anywhere to get closer to God. We don't really need to read a Bible. God is there. We, you know, just Orthodox Christianity. So what is Orthodox Christianity and how is it different than Christianity that we would understand in the States? Orthodox Christianity, from my understanding, is I don't think they have services in church. Like we have a pastor comes out and tells us a message, tells us about things in Bible and teaches us things. There is mainly you come out and there's a pastor who would just like sing something in like old Russian that nobody could really understand, wave a thingy with smoke coming out of it. And then you would just come to a picture of some saint or like Mary Magdalene or something like that. You put a candle under the picture and you would pray to that picture because their belief is that you pray to saints to get your message to God, not directly praying to God. So basically, if you want a pastor to pray for you for something, you basically pay money for that. If there's a funeral, you pay pastor to pray at your funeral. So it's kind of very different there. Now, I don't know if it changed over the years because I moved 14, 13 years ago. So it might have changed now, but I wouldn't know. What was your opinion of Jesus growing up? Was Jesus part of the equation at all? Did you think about Jesus? Yes, I've heard of Jesus growing up because my grandma was a Christian. I remember when I was little, I've got a present for New Year's. So in Ukraine, they do presents for New Year's instead of Christmas. I got this golden cross on the chain that I loved. It was the second after earrings, gold jewelry, you know, a little girl, loved it. And my mom had to take it off me the day before I had to go to Jewish school for the first time because that was not appropriate at Jewish school. Did you have any inclination about what the cross represented or what that meant? Not not really. It was more like people put crosses on the graves. In Ukraine, you see more of a cross at the grave instead of the stone. So that was like something to do with Jesus. Didn't really know what. So did you celebrate the holidays as a family, the Christian holidays? Did you celebrate Jewish holidays? We celebrated Christian holidays at home and Jewish holidays I celebrated at school. Were you a good kid? I'm going to say I was. I was hard-headed as a teenager and rebellious. But as a younger kid, I don't think I had, I wasn't a very good student. But in general, I was. I would say so. Okay. Well, good. It's good to be a good kid. <laughs> so as you grew up, were there influences that led you to question your faith or maybe lack thereof? Were there inklings of hope anywhere? So when I was going to school, I knew that I didn't really belong there. I am Jewish on my father's line. And in school there, they would tell my parents, she did this, she did that. We have people who are more Jewish than your daughter waiting to get in the school. 
And so I wasn't even good enough to. So growing up, was there a time when you felt particularly far from God? Growing up, no, I wasn't very religious as a child. So how did your faith or lack thereof progress post-teenage years? Once I graduated, I didn't go to synagogue or church or anything like that. And I got married pretty early. I got married in 18 years old. And then I went straight from like the childhood straight into like adulthood in a different world. How was your marriage? It was an abusive marriage. So when I got married to this man, he was from America and he was 20 plus years older than me. I got married to him in March and in August, I was already in America. I was here without a language, really. I had some basics, but nothing really substantial. And a month after I got here, I got pregnant. And that's when everything changed. Hey, folks, thanks for tuning in to 180. Please share the show with your people. It may be the best news they hear today. He was abusive, not physically. It was a lot of emotional abuse and just basically leaving. So he brought me to the house in the woods in Georgia mountains. And I'm from a city. So this was already crazy for me. And he brought me into this house that our driver was a mile and a half. And it was just really different and rough for me already. And then when I got pregnant, he changed and it was a different person. He was breeding dogs and I had to clean up after dogs. I, I was basically a slave. I was just doing a slave work and without any, you know, talking or anything. And he would disappear for days at a time and we didn't do any kind of nothing, no church, no anything, no nothing. And it wasn't any different for me. So I didn't know what I was missing. I just knew that I was in another country without a language, with a stranger in the house, and I'm about to have his baby, and I can't leave because he wouldn't let me, and I can't drive. He wouldn't let you leave? No, because, first of all, I couldn't leave because there was nowhere to go. It was the middle of nowhere. I didn't really try to leave when I was pregnant because I knew I had nowhere to go, and he wouldn't let me go because I was pregnant with his child. And that basically was, I feel like, his goal to just impregnate me and just enslave me, basically. And that's what happened to me. Later on, I started noticing that he was using drugs. I didn't know what kind, but I just knew that a person that's not using drugs would not act like that. Like he would tell me crazy things that are happening in the woods and we're in danger here. And he would call police so many times that they came and arrested him one time when we were in the restaurant because he wouldn't meet them in our house because it was too dangerous. So here I was at the... Wait, what happened? You're at a restaurant and the police come for him? Yes, because when we were at home, he would say that there's some people in the woods that killing other people and putting them in some suits of a bear and hanging them on the trees. And it was so dangerous. He wouldn't let me turn the light on in the house. Mm -hmm. My son was, I want to say, three at that time. 
Wow. And so he would call the police so many times because of some imaginary people in the woods that he took us to the restaurant and he rushed us out of the house so fast that I didn't even put a shoes on my child. So he didn't have shoes on. And we're sitting in this restaurant and the police comes in to talk to him. They take him outside. And then the server, she walks up to me and she says, you know, your husband's getting arrested out there. Wow. So I ran out there and he's yelling to me as they putting him in a car, don't go back home. Not like I could because it's like we're like 40 minutes away from home and I'm not driving. I don't know how to. Okay. So then I just sat there in that car with my child, not knowing where to go, what to do. He has no shoes. Like I just so remember this. He had no shoes. And I just sat there. I was completely lost. I had met some friends online, some girls that was from Ukraine in Atlanta that was like two hours from Atlanta. And uh, one of them come pick me up and took me to their house. And I just stayed there until my ex's parents came and got him out of the crazy house. They actually put him in the mental institution. Oh, they did. Yeah. So when they got him out of there, he came back and he was just going so crazy. Like one time he shot a gun because he thought he saw something in the river. We had a river right in front of our house. And he shot something right next to my ear that I couldn't hear on my ear for like a couple weeks. It was so close. It was just so many stories. Like I really barely got out of that alive. So my mom have moved at that point to Alabama, to a little town in Alabama called Dothan, Alabama. And ironically, his parents lived in Dothan, Alabama. Your ex-husband's parents lived in that same town. Yeah, well, it's a neighboring town. So that was my way out. I tried very hard to save that marriage. I tried, even though there was no love, I had a child with him and child needed a father. And in Ukraine, we are raised as, you know, mothers and, and wives and like in a very traditional way. So I did everything I could to try to save the marriage, but I didn't know what else I could do. So I said, maybe if we change the scenery, it would be better if we get out of this middle of nowhere. So I told him, well, your parents are old and they probably need help. Why don't we pack up and move to Alabama? And so after talking him into it for some time, he agreed. And then we moved to Alabama. I got a job in a restaurant in Olive Garden. And after I got that job, I um, uh, left him and went to live with my mom because nothing was changing. Like he would hang bed sheets over windows so that people couldn't look through the windows, the imaginary people that he saw everywhere. It was a horrible life. Like he told me one time he would kill me. And after I left him, things did not get better. I moved in with my mother, but everywhere I would go, he would follow me. Like I would get in my car, he would be right behind me. He would just follow me everywhere. Everywhere I went, he was there. And uh, he would kidnap my child. Like he would go there for visitations and then he would refuse to return him. Oh, wow. He would not return him, return my phone calls, tell me where he is, what's going on. He would just not. And I had to 
search. Like I had to go to his mom's house. I had to go to his house. I had to just drive around and just try to find him. And that happened a lot. How old was your son when that was happening? He was about four or five. And that was really rough because he was so little and it was just breaking my heart. So he got arrested one time. So I tried to call and report because the dogs that he had was in a bad state. They were just in the dirt. They didn't have clean water. It was just basically a puppy mill. He was running a puppy mill out of his backyard. Okay. And I called the police to report that. And they said, oh, you just an ex-wife. We're not going to believe you because you're just telling us this because you're bitter or something. And I was like, okay. So one time he kidnapped him. I called the sheriff's department in that town and I asked to come with me to his house to do a check if my child is there. And they came with me and they saw the dogs. He wasn't there, but they saw the dogs. And they um, collected whatever they needed. And eventually he got arrested for that. And when he got arrested for that, they found a laptop that had a video that where he was describing how he was going to kill me. Oh, my gosh. What? Yes, he was oh going to kill gosh. me. He was going to do all those things to me. And when I tried to do something about it, they said, well, we can't do anything about it unless he tries. Really? Did you say that you got divorced from him? Yes, we got divorced. And there's also no parental kidnapping in the state of Alabama. So all those kidnappings, I call police and they say, well, go to court, which we did many times, many, many times. Wow. So did you find your son when he wasn't there and the cops did find the dogs? I mean, eventually, I don't even remember where I found him at that point. But there was so many situations. I guess the most crazy one is when I came to his parents' house and his parents' house garage was open. So I walked in there and they had a little glass in the back door, which I looked through and I saw my son. My ex's mother tackled my five-year-old son down on the ground. She was holding him while he was kicking and screaming, let me go, I want to go to my mommy. I was there with my mom too. So we were calling the police while we were doing all this. And her husband was just sitting there at the table, facing the window, looking at all this and just eating soup. Calmly, casually, nothing's happening. He's eating soup. Wow, how horrible. He sat there and watched. That was really, really rough for me to watch. But then he finally got away from her and ran out to me and a bunch of police came. But during all this time, I met my current husband now, Nathan. I met him at Olive Garden and we started dating and he took me to church for the first time here in America. He was in the army. He was in the flight school at Fort Rucker. He was studying to be a, a Black Hawk pilot. And so he took me to church somewhere near the base there. And that was my first experience. And I was like, what is going on? I had no idea. I'd never seen anything like that. And my eyes started to open like more and more. And I started learning more about God. And I was like, oh my gosh, I I didn't realize that that's, that's what it is. That's how it goes. And what was something that you were starting to see? Like, what was one thing that you could 
share with us? Well, the fact that I'm not alone and that Jesus is with me and he's not here to judge me and he's here to love me and carry me through the hard times and things like that. And that's what I was going through still with my ex. He was still following me and still trying to get my boyfriend at the time fired or get him in trouble of any kind, leaving him threatening notes, all kinds of things like that. One of the situations when my son got kidnapped, I knew of a lady that my ex worked with. They were friends. I stopped at her job to see if my son was there. He wasn't at her job. She was hiding him at her home. And I came to her work and I literally cried to her. I said, you're a mother. Can you imagine if somebody did this to you? Just tell me if you know where my child is. And she would be like, I have no idea. I don't know where he is. And after like searching for him all day, I got out of her business. I sat in my car and I just started crying. I just started losing it. I was hitting my steering wheel. I was hitting my dashboard. I cracked my dashboard. I was just losing it in the car. I was crying and screaming. I couldn't find him anywhere. And I didn't know where to go or what to do or if he's alive or what's happening. I just didn't know. And uh, that was my lowest moment. When I didn't know where my child was, I didn't know if I ever see him again. But in that moment, this weird feeling that felt like peace, which feels like I shouldn't feel that at this moment, just come over me, and I felt like I was being held, like I was not alone anymore in the car. I just felt like Jesus just came in and just grabbed me and just patted me on my head. It was a feeling I've never felt before. You felt like you didn't know what it was, but it felt divine to you. You did think of Jesus when you were feeling that peace. Yes, I've never felt that before, but I knew that it was Jesus. Okay. I knew it was him. And basically, at that moment, I realized that it's not in my hands. It's in his hands. And I just need to give it to him. And my favorite song throughout that whole period of my life was Jesus Take the Will. And I listened to it many times and I cried all the time listening to it. And it was just a new experience for me. And every time I went to church, I cried every service. Like I cried and I cried and I cried. And it was just like, I just sat there and I couldn't stop crying. And then at the end... Sometimes, you know, they would say, if you want to come and pray or up front by the altar, and I would be there. I'd be there on the floor bawling my eyes out. And I don't know why I was crying, but I was just crying. I don't know why. It was so emotional. Every time I came to church, one time I went to church near my mom's house. It was a very small church, and everybody knew each other very well. And I just sat there, and I just cried the whole time. At the end, pastor like, would you like to come and talk to me? He was like, are you okay? Like I literally cried the whole time. And that was for the longest time. Every time I would go to church, I would just cry. It happens sometimes now, but 
rarely, but I cried so much during my beginning years of Christianity. We want to hear about your son. So you had this time of desperation. Did you cry out to the Lord when you were in the car? Do you remember like what kind of prayer you prayed? I don't really remember. It was such a dramatic event. Assume it was something like, I can't do it without you. I need your help. And, you know, I'm not alone. Yeah, nice. So your son, did you find him that day? I don't remember. (laughs) Honestly, I definitely found him. I don't know if it was how long, you know, after that happened. It's just one of many kidnappings. So yes, how crazy that you don't even remember the outcome because there were so many of them. But this one was the worst. This one was the moment of uttermost desperation where you called out to the Lord and he answered you in that way to give you the ultimate peace. At that point, did you feel like I'm a Christian now? I did. I felt like I was Christian. Yes, I felt like I was Christian, like I'm in the family now. And it was it was hard because so many people around claimed that they were Christians, but then they did things that were just like, what? How can you do that? Like around that time, my son went to a private school that was Christian that my ex paid for. And the principal of that school, I don't know if they were friends with my ex or what, but at one point I came because my son was missing again. I came to school hoping he would bring him to school and that the principal reported it to my ex that I was at school. And so he didn't bring him to school. And then when I would come to pick him up, they told me that I'm trespassing and I'm not allowed to be there anymore. And so they would refuse to give me my child back. I have a physical custody over my child and they would refuse and kick me off the property and things like that. But then after me becoming Christian and giving it to God, I just saw things getting in the right place. Now, not everything, but it was just so much peace in me that I don't have to deal with this, that it's not my job. It's not my responsibility. I tried to find ways around things. How do I do this? Maybe I should hide something in his house and like call the police to get him in trouble. Or maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should try to cut a corner here to try to get ahead. And and then it was just so much easier where I just knew I don't need to do any of this. The counselor from school that I saw one time in the hallway saying hi to me, she came to court and she said, I don't think it's good for the child to live with this mother because she doesn't take care of him. She's a bad mother. She doesn't know me never talked to me. The principal came out and said the same thing. His teacher came out with like a book of like events that supposedly happened to my son. And the judge was like, do you keep a book like that on every child? And she was like, no. So all these people, for some reason, tried so hard to take my child from me to help him, a guy who's got caught with drugs and all kinds of things. And they tried to help him so much, but the school got closed. Everybody lost their job and the principal got arrested for stealing school property, like many, many, many thousands of dollars. So things like that kept happening. Like people who would do things like that to me, I would just see 
the prayers being answered, like, it was just so mind-blowing to me. It was like, see, you just need to follow me. See, I'm your God. I'm Jesus. I got you. You don't have to do this alone. And that was all of those one thing after another after another. I saw it as God showing me, you don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. You don't have to get back to people. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything. You have to give it to me. Just surrender it to me and I will take care of you. Just trust me. Just trust me and just surrender. And it was really amazing feeling that I don't have to do this anymore. So you were talking about going to church and just sobbing for the first long time, just sobbing uncontrollably. What else was happening as you became a new believer? Like very often people are in the Word and they're understanding new truths about who Jesus actually is. What happened for you? Well, yeah, I started to learn more about Jesus. I started to learn that he was actually not just a crazy guy. Like they taught us that in Jewish school, he was the Messiah. He was the Savior. And this love that he was given to me was just overwhelming because I didn't realize I had it. And then all of a sudden, I know I have it. I was just learning that he loves me so much that he just accepts me for who I am. That's what I learned, that he loves me and that I love him. So what was the 180 in your life after coming to faith and realizing this? So I'm raising my children and I'm hoping I'm doing a good job and raising them as a man, you know, after his heart. And I just have so much peace in my life. We still go to court all the time. We just had a court past summer and I put my trust in him. My favorite part about this whole journey is the peace. The peace that I get that he has it. I have no control over anything. He has it all. And I really should not stress about anything. But I mean, not that I don't stress about anything, but I shouldn't stress about anything. So just transformed my life completely from growing up in the Jewish school, basically with like Pharisees, all judgy and looking good in front of other people and doing all these things, but actually missing the whole point and now coming to a realization that I was just missing it the whole life, my whole life before Christ and just completely changed the way I look at things, the way I process things, the way I accept things. So you said you're Messianic Jewish. Can you explain what that is to our listeners who might not know what that means? So Messianic Judaism is Jewish people who are completed Jewish people, who believe in Jesus, who follow Jesus, who knows that Jesus is their Savior, who accept that and follow him. And it's just like Jesus was. And Jesus' followers, they were... Jewish. They were Messianic Jews. Mm -hmm. You said complete because he is the fulfillment of Judaism, the Messiah. He is the fulfillment. And people in Israel now who are lost and they're confused, they're just missing the whole point. Mm -hmm. They're still waiting for their Messiah, which he has already come. So 
that's a complete Jew. That's a Messianic Jew, a Jewish person who believes that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. So there's churches for Messianic Jews, but there's also just an identity that that's who you are. And it doesn't matter where you go to church. Just in your heart, you are a Messianic Jew. You're a complete Jew. Yes. But see, Judaism is not necessarily just a religion. It's actually one or one of not many nationalities that that can be detected by a blood test. Like you can take a Jewish person blood, do specific tests and realize that they're Jewish. It's not just a religion. It's like nationality. So if you have it in your blood, then you're Jewish, whether you Jewish religion or not. That's interesting. Well, I have a last question for you. So if there was someone listening today who was going through the same struggles you did in your first marriage where you were trapped and abused, what would you tell that person, knowing what you know now about Jesus? What would you say? I would say, give it to God. If you are being abused, do not stay there. Get away from abuse. If you're in danger, you just need to get away from that as far as you can get away from that. And do not feel bad. This is not your fault. And you just need to get away and you need to give it to God. You get help. There's so many organizations that are helping women with children. If you don't have church, find a good church and just give it to God. Give it to Jesus. It gives you so much peace and you have no control over this anyways. So why stress about it when you don't have control over this? Thank you. Very well put. And I just pray that whoever needs to hear that, that they would hear that. And we'll certainly link in our show notes resources for anybody in that situation or anyone who just doesn't feel safe in their marriage. Could you pray for the Ukrainian people in your language? You can pick Ukrainian or Russian. We just think it's cool to hear people pray in their heart language. And we just pray along and God knows it. Yes, yes. Боженька, допоможи, будь ласка, Україні. Врятуй усіх діточок там. Та врятуй, врятуй мою неньку Україну. Та забери війну з її порогу. Боже, врятуй та принеси мир до України. Амен. Амен. Thank you. Was that in Ukrainian or Russian? It was Ukrainian. So thank you so much for your time, Valeria. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. We have Blind Tony, who put together a poem inspired by Valeria. Beware when you think you're standing, lest you fall. That's a scripture that's applicable to us all. Because there have been times when we all have made plans and then unforeseen circumstances popped up and snatched the control totally out of our own hands and left us at the mercy of the wind. And we didn't know when, where, or how it was going to end. Just like Valeria punching the dashboard until it actually cracked. Frustration and aggravation. Satanic attack. 
taking us all the way to our wits end. But also opening the door for the Father to step in. Because scripture says many are the afflictions of the righteous. But he also says that out of them all he would save us. And he does over and over again. Great is his mercy. His love doesn't end. Jesus, Savior, please pilot me. Take control and set me free. This is Valeria's story. And once again, I'm wondering what's yours. God has the power to open up, break down, and enter any locked doors. Let us know your story at 180podcast.com. And for more of my poetry, check out Anthony Horton's Poems channel on YouTube. And remember, until the next time, here at 180, we love you, but God loves you even more. 180 is a production of One Way Ministries.